but maybe I've been starting with expectation in our relationship. Because if I'd been starting with each of us being unique, I would have realized more naturally that we each had something to bring. We're not about trying to fill or fulfill each other completely. We are parts of the whole that is our relationship. It's that kind of starting point of uniqueness that allows spaces for Marie and I to offer each other an intimacy that does not bind and a freedom that leaves neither feeling rejected or abandoned. Today's Soul Food episode is from a story told on the Faith Feed, a network that celebrates the life, faith and action in the world of those in their mid-twenties, thirties and forties. Here comes a Soul Food story from the Faith Feed. Yep, that's me. I made the cut for Avengers. If you haven't seen it, picture this. Bring together 18 movies, over 30 characters playing key superheroes, all with backstories rolled into one film. And in a couple of hours of screen time, their individual stories or their individual characters of old still shone through. Whilst at the same time, their chemistry uh, created a new story, an amazing achievement. I love the concept. Personally, I connect to the similar concept when I coach sport. The grind of weekly drills transformed into on-field teamwork and trust. Win or lose, I feel proud to know that we performed as a team. I find it fulfilling to spend time with each player, knowing their strengths and working with them towards their goals. I'm sure some of you have been a coach or a mentor or have experienced such guidance. And isn't it true that the gift of such guidance is when someone, when someone names or mirrors what we're not seeing in ourselves? My mantra to my teams has been that we thrive when we celebrate the uniqueness of each member. What I want to share tonight are some snippets of my life so far that continue to teach me to believe that uniqueness is a helpful starting point, not expectation. My thought is this, that whether in sport, life, relationships, if we start with what we expect from others, we're prone to be easily disappointed. I'm glad I'm seeing a few, um, a few nods from the audience. Yes, I have expectations, and me of others. Sometimes that's valid, and sometimes it's judgmental. I don't always get it right. My younger ego revisits my esteem takes a hit, or I revert into a crazy self-consciousness. But I do keep trying to believe that I am what others aren't, and that others are what I may never be. I like Oscar Wilde's line, be yourself, everyone else is taken. I believe that we can be ourselves collectively. Then we've got wildfire. I didn't believe that as a kid, and I'm not sure I'm alone on that. But where I was a kid, when I was a kid and as a younger adult were foundations to this phase of being in my early 30s, a husband, a father, and a high school teacher, open to the next phase of learning. My story is quite ordinary. 
And damn it, I doubt anyone will even tear up. But let me select a few points along this ordinary journey that have taught me about the uniqueness or uniqueness over expectation. And I hope you'll connect to your own story in some way too. So here's a marker, senior high school. Ball is life. My presence on the court gave me the identity I had off the court. Being good on the playground boosted my ego, but not actually making the cut for the big team, well, it cut into my identity and value. A self-judgment coming from the expectation to perform. I can see in retrospect that that often also became my adolescent way of viewing others. Disappointed when I didn't measure up. Disappointed when they didn't measure up. I work with adolescents. Now when I watch it, I see it, but I try to care for it because I look back at my ego at work. I've been embarrassed, yes, but can see that it served my need to grow a sense of independence and capacity. Definitely not the raw material for later intimacy and adult life, but definitely I can say my ego served my growth and was definitely part of what helped me land my first part-time job and definitely part of what pumped my self-belief through uni. And definitely what motivated me onto my first long haul of flights to see the world. Speaking of expectations, I deflated considerably when my parents were not excited for my enormous wise plans to travel the world with no money. So I settled for their keener and very Catholic idea to jet off with a respected family friend, Tony, who was leading a group to World Youth Day Germany. My religious experience had been pretty plain and predictable up to then, so I wondered privately what this World Youth Day, a supposedly, supposedly cross-cultural, high-energy faith thing for young, for youth people, for, sorry, for young people, could be about. But I admitted to that curiosity less than to my hopes that Germany would be my warm-up for the real Euro trip straight, straight after. This was a practice run for my intent, um, international competence and I, was, and I was ready to exceed expectations. But my ego went lame and my heart exploded. I stood among a million young people in a belonging and a passion I'd never witnessed before. Secretly, I felt proud that I was in this thing through my Catholic heritage. In those years, you could be proud of your parents from a distance, right? I even felt safe to drop my defenses and share share a few young secrets. Late night chats and early mornings, gifts of friendship and genuine joy, a remarkable time. The group leader, Tony, in one spontaneous moment asked, hey Mike, what are you looking for? And as cliche as it sounds, part nerves and part gut, I said, I'm looking for love. The rest is vague, and time tonight, tonight is brief. But in that transparency of sharing, something shifted in my life. And towards the end of the trip, one of those rare moments, you wonder why someone says something. The same Tony gave me food for thought. He said something like, Mike, you really hear people's stories and celebrate with them. I'm going to especially remember that about you. Thank you. It was this affirmation 
not an expectation, but somehow soaked deeply into me that I care so meaningfully on the, on the flight back home. Hear people's stories. Celebrate with them. Tony's words echoed. Was this some kind of call? It's actually what Tony had done for me. And it moved me into a space of life. How, how could I be that liberation for others? This became, this became my passionate question. Looking back, I can see that this is where my identity came to be based on gift and choice. A big step from expectation and ego and a foundation for the next chapters. As I prepared this, I wanted to say more at this point, and not because of ego, I promise, but because I suspect that many of us here will identify with significant shifts in young adulthood, where there is a deepening sense of you. It's also risky, I reckon, because it's time when faith, in its broad definition, becomes much more real. Faith as in trusting what you don't have guarantees about. Faith in your path, your decisions, your vision. Faith in your relationships, your background, your heritage. Faith in your place and something beyond you. Faith in your God. Or those shifting times can also be risky because it can be tempting not to go down that journey, but instead to stagnate, to block the digging down, to lock life down and make it all measurable. Easy to do if expectation is still the measure. After Germany, there was a, few, was a new unfolding in my faith, broadening, um, broadly speaking, and including a faith community that became more alive to me by virtue. By virtue, I think, of becoming intentionally more attentive to people. Long story short, that intentional attentiveness attentiveness of learning people's stories and celebrating them in that community was the context I credit most with learning, to feed back to people what I experienced as their uniqueness. And I discovered access to that privileged space where others, too, wrestled with the big questions of life and faith. It spurred me to help start a movement engaging young people called Basic Gift it influenced my shift from IT work back to uni for what later became a high school teacher role tailored to life and faith exploration. It led me to pursue several trips overseas to volunteer as a community builder. And what a filter that was where no IT skills could validate me in a Filipino village that didn't have reliable electricity. This was just vulnerable time with people, hand washing, sharing meals, shifting dirt, laying bricks. I learned that what they valued most was that an overseas stranger thought they were worth being with and that they treasured their story. And I was powerfully moved that they treasured mine. They say two Catholic saints most loved also by people who are not Catholic are Mother Teresa and St. Francis, St. Francis, Francis of Assisi. One of her sayings is that not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. That faith community and that basic gift movement made sense of Mother Teresa's saying for me, highlight, highlighting love as a quality, not a quantity.
And the peace prayer of St. Francis has a strange paradox that in giving, we receive. A paradox I felt in struggling villages of the Philippines when the truth of my silent tears filled me with recognition of how my life was being blessed by being for others. I think that phase of my life was learning to be formed by transparency and vulnerability, even by the pitfalls and embarrassments that are part of that risk. I had no idea this was preparing me to, uh, preparing me to meet the woman who would become my wife and the mother to our son Moses, Marie. Seeing that marriage has taught me about being alone, that doesn't mean our, uh, that I'm unhappy or I'm in the doghouse. Let me, let, me book in, let, me book in, let me book in this by saying Europe. We holidayed there, holiday there shortly into our marriage. This time, no groups, no hype, no friends, just us. I could focus on Paris. Marie spent her whole life dreaming of the day she would go there. When I think Paris, I think Mona Lisa. That's the box you tick, right? But in the lure of Marie's cultural insight thrived. For her, it was even about which painting was displayed adjacent to another, and from which period was illuminated by the brushstrokes and style of the artwork. The rest of our trip carried on in a similar fashion. For Marie, holiday means taking as much history, culture, tours, every minute of every day. I'm a bit like her myself, but I like learning new cultures just by wandering around the back streets, but more especially, eating the local food. Something like from Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. It's the reason why I end up, you know, five kilos heavier after every trip. So I'll jump quickly to Italy and tell you by Florence we were constantly in queues, waiting for places to get into, including the Florence Cathedral. We got there by lunch, and all I wanted to do was grab something to eat. Just as the snicker saying goes, you're not you when you're hungry. We've all been there. But I didn't want to let Marie show, uh, I didn't want to let Marie show that I was hanging out for a tripe panini that I desperately wanted to try rather than seeing the majesty of the cathedral. Marie isn't necessarily good in cues either. And I don't like being in cues on an empty stomach. But I was keen to show her that I was this cool, calm, and cultured gentleman. Well, humility 101. Thank God we endured, because here was to come another one of those messages to fly home on. The cathedral's architect, Filippo Brunelleschi, wanted to give the people of Florence something of the artistry, awe, and sacredness of St. Peter's in Rome, even carefully planning for its completion well beyond its li his lifetime. A powerful image for me is the four million bricks the dome, of the dome. This architect, Brunelleschi, actually handpicked many unique individual bricks for key parts of that structure. Eating humble pie, I was filled with reflections on the stuff of life. Marie and I were like those bricks, chosen, unique, different. I'm summing up more than just that moment, but maybe I've been starting with expectation in our relationship. Because if I'd been starting with each of us being unique, I would have realized more naturally that, each, that we each had something to bring. That we're not trying, you know, we're not about trying to fill or fulfill each other completely. We are parts of the whole, 
that is, a, that is our relationship. It's that kind of starting point of uniqueness that allows spaces for Marie and I to offer each other an intimacy that does not bind and a freedom that leaves neither feeling rejected or abandoned. Sounds poetic, right? Actually, more a work of art, a live project to keep, keep chipping away at, perhaps the ever-unfolding cathedral of our marriage, a space where God can dwell. But that starting point of uniqueness and the spaces it can offer are what's held me, what's held and sustained me in the powerlessness of childbirth when I could only be at Marie's side, unable to make her labor pains mine, or when this new mother was smashed with exhaustion and I was alone at 11 a.m. nursing our son in tender intimacy that was uniquely mine and his. Marriage has taught me that the meaning and value of aloneness is very different to loneliness and is a priceless raw material to grow together, each unique in mutuality, ever closer, still always mystery. No one else quite see, no one else quite sees through these eyes, those eyes, ponders through this mind, that mind lives through this heart, that heart. I'm staring and being and living like no one else could quite replace. I alone am me. You alone are you. And in that, there can be gift of us. There in Florence, one very loud tourist, well, you, might, you might guess where, from where, looked up at the dome and announced, for all to hear, imagine if one of the bricks fell out of place and the whole thing crumbled. I wanted to roll my eyes, except that I had my own moment and was now on humble mode. <laughs> Surprisingly, that loud comment bookends the bricks of my life to now. Where each is unique, none is the other, and each has its place. Even the ones that embarrass me or that I might swap out in a perfect world, these are, these are in the foundations that hold me ready for the next. So here's to your bricks, and here's to mine. And back where I started with those Avengers characters who remained themselves, but who together formed their, a new story. I'll go one step higher than even Marvel Studios for a final reference and recall that powerful spiritual foundation honored in the ancient book of Genesis. It's of particular note there that when the Creator made us human beings, we're made in God's very image and likeness. And of us and our place in the divine story. God celebrates what's considered very pleasing as a solid and solid foundation with solid affirmation. Indeed, God said of, his, of this humanity, indeed, it is very good. Thank you.
hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Food. Don't forget to like and follow us on Spotify or your preferred listening platform. This podcast is produced by the Mission Enhancement Team in the Diocese of Parramatta. We release a new episode each week and we'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment or reach out via our contacts in the show notes. Looking forward to sharing another story with you next time on the Soul Food Podcast. Thank you.